when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Welcome to Global Change Agents with me, Liana Brinded, the Digest Edition, a podcast brought to you by Yahoo Finance UK. You can watch a full version of this interview by heading over to yahoo.co.uk forward slash change agents. Joining me today is Joe Hannaford. Joe is the head of EMEA technology and global head of quality assurance engineering at Goldman Sachs. She joined the firm in 1997 and helped to build the bank's global compliance technology. Joe was named a managing director in 2008 and a partner in 2014. So Joe, welcome. So what initially spurred you on to take computer science? And did you have any early mentors or idols that really made you want to get into the business? I mean, the controversy around um, why there's not more women in computer science didn't exist when I took it up. Um, in the 80s, when I was at um, school, it was considered to be a really good job for women. And um, I had a maths teacher at school who retrained as a programmer and who began to teach computer science. And I went along to her course and uh, really enjoyed it. But I was with a class of 35 other girls doing computer science at that time. And it's odd to me, you know, close to 30 years later, that it seems so difficult to be able to replicate that in a school. But at that moment in time, it was considered to be no one even questioned the fact that she did that. No one even questioned that we decided to do computer science. No, it was considered in the same way that we were doing physics or chemistry or mathematics. And so why do you think that is, that now there is a dearth of women in STEM, or at least especially at the top? It's really, it's really interesting to me that here I am, having, such, having had such a great career in computer science, when I look around, I think to myself, where did those women go that were in that class with me 35 years ago? And I think that there's practicalities to it. I think for many teachers, the idea that you could be a maths teacher, I mean, she was actually coming up to retirement um, and retrain as a computer programmer and then start teaching programming. I think for most teachers in schools, that would be considered to be almost impossible. And I think that's one of the things I've really noticed is that for many women, computer programming is almost, seems almost impossible to them. But it's kind of ridiculous to me that programming has been edged so, so far away from what women think they can actually do. I mean, when I go around and I'm talking to women in my everyday life, I say to them, did you ever consider programming? And they'll say, oh, it's just so hard. It's so confusing for me. And I'll say, really? Any more confusing than been a plastic surgeon or been a mathematician or been a physicist and they'll say yes. So somewhere in those 35 years we've pushed computing to be in the space where it's unobtainable for women to do and I think that will explain why not more computer science is taught in schools, not more computer science is in everyday life for women in particular. 
But that history has been edited. That's a revised history. If you go back to the 50s and 60s and the first computers, the data operators were women. And data operating then was really programming in today's terms. In fact, harder form of programming than we do today. So with that, I mean, it does seem that um, later on in life, it feels like it's too late. If you've um, trained in something else and mm. then if someone like yourself goes, why didn't you take it? That it just seems unobtainable. So when it comes to people being in work or let's say women being analysts or traders, yeah. and especially since you're working at Goldman, these are your colleagues yeah. every day and they want to do it. What, what kind of ways can employee, employers rather um, try and bridge that gap? We've been offering um, free Python and Ruby programming classes to women outside of engineering at Goldman Sachs, and they are oversubscribed. So I think the other thing that I've learned is that women want to do it, particularly younger women. The other um, aspect to this is that many of my female colleagues talk to me about women who maybe have been out of the workplace for whatever reason, and there's very few reskilling programs for them. There's returnship programs, but not reskilling. So these are women that maybe have had first careers, often in STEM-related subjects, and there's very little mechanisms for them to retrain into computing, just practically. So they're often forced into work which is lower paid as a result. And so I believe that if we could actually create programming classes that actually suit them, and there are charities that do this, then it's actually very easy to learn programming. I mean, it's like learning any language. I mean, fundamentally, um, programming is about an instruction set that you learn that you provide to a computer to do certain actions. At its heart, that's basically it. And I think that it's easier than Spanish or French or German. I mean, they're much, you, know, you, don't, have to, you don't have to worry about emotion, you're just instructions. And yet, for many women, Spanish is a lot easier than Python. And I just don't understand that. What, what was the kind of response across the board around women getting it for free and men not? I mean, look, there's a commercial argument to you know, skilling. Half of the world's population, I think actually over half of the world's population are women. And yet, for whatever reasons, and they're quite complicated reasons, and they're quite geographical in nature, geographically diverse, those same skills are not, don't seem to be available to that population. And so, if you think about a company in today's world, most companies, in fact, every company you could argue is a technology company. And if we don't look to provide um, technology skills on a gender basis to that population, then you're restricting how many skills. I mean, it's kind of, a, kind of an obvious argument. Very rarely, and maybe it's just because I'm a woman, but very rarely do I hear any, any problems in terms of men, men's reaction to these programs. And, um, and I think maybe it's because, for whatever reason, many of the men at work actually have these skills already. And what we're trying to do is to try and to actually democratize them. And so thinking about the finance world, in, in, uh, especially since you've been at Goldman for 22 years now, mm. um, what made you decide with your, all your skills in computer science to actually go into an investment bank, especially at a time where um, it's very traditional, male-dominated? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. there's some room to go still. Yeah. But um, what made you have that light bulb moment to do that? Well, look, I mean, um, when I came into the city um, 25 years ago, the reason I really came into the city was at the time, if you wanted to be a computer programmer, I remember at that time, 
computers were much, much more expensive than they are today. I mean, you know, what you run on your smartphone would cost millions. And so if you want to do, back then, if you wanted to do interesting programming, you had to work in an environment which could basically pay for the computers. And really, there were two employers of choice. You either went to work in, de in um, Ministry of Defence or defence-related work, which didn't appeal to me at all. I mean, I have no, I have no interest in programming missiles. Um, or you came into the city. And, you know, this idea of startups, this idea that you could um, have access to computing in the way that you do now, like the fact that companies have access to cloud, none of that existed then. You had to buy a really expensive computer. And so that was really what brought me into the city, was access to interesting programming work. But I was, it was one of the smartest moves I ever made in my life was to actually seek out a company where I could be valued, not because I'm a woman, but because I just wanted to have a career there, like based on meritocracy. I want my work to be judged in the same way that other people's work. And I think that's all that women want ultimately, is to be treated the same way. And when it comes to um, when we're talking about the diversity of people, and obviously that's making our economy run, but also in the fintech scene, and fintech influence and investment mm. banking, how have you seen the culture of, let's say, fintech maybe on the more traditional side of banking? Um, so, for instance, that could be in terms of the culture of the company or in dress codes yeah. or things like that. Tech and finance have always had this weird relationship, <laughs> That's I right. find. I think, with that. I, think, I think there's... Um I mean, look, I, you know, for most of my life, I've spent in one company, which is Goldman Sachs. So, like, my, my um, view will be definitely tainted by that. I mean, I have never felt... I mean, I, I know that I'm not stereotypical, right? I'm a woman who does programming. I'm very informal in my style. And yet I've had this kind of great career. And ultimately, you want to kind of work in an environment where you're measured by what your output is and what you deliver, regardless of whether you're disabled or gay or your religion, you don't want to be kind of tracked like that. And I think I've been very lucky to work in an environment where we've almost, I think the modern world has almost caught up with us, really. You know, there's a style to, I think if you want to be formal at work and maybe if you're dealing in an environment which requires you to work in a particular way, you can do. But in my time at Goldman Sachs, most of the engineering practices have been very informal. You know, we've, we're amazing at when there's a problem to solve or there's an issue, before, the companies I worked in before I came to Goldman Sachs, I couldn't get anybody. I felt very alone in solving those issues. One of the things you really, um, I really enjoy about working there is that there, there'll be loads of people involved in a problem. Like often, you're a bit bewildered by why all these people are involved. I've kind of got used to it. But that way of working collectively, that's very much our style. And I think that's very indicative of the modern world. In fact, now there's more players. I think the thing that's changed is that Whereas, let's say, 15 years ago, it was predominantly people from within the company. Now what you see is that there's, a, there's a, a breaking down of those traditional barriers. I mean, there were physical barriers. You had to use your computers in your data centers. Now you don't. Right now, with APIs and richer cloud strategies, you're dealing with people who work within Goldman Sachs and with outside of Goldman Sachs. And so the kind of ecosystem has grown. And I think that does influence you. You know, and to a certain extent, I think we were a bit bewildered at work about the recent publicity around dress code. I don't think we expected anybody to really care. I mean, we've been um, following a dress code in Europe for some time. I think we just did it automatically. Like if you're an engineer and you're coming in and you're working at your desk all day on a particular programming, 
problem. Who cares if you wear jeans? But does anybody even notice? And so it was almost really something we've been doing for some time when we just publicised it. It was just an affirmation of what we're doing. That's very much our style. But who knew that it was going to attract so much attention? I'm completely, <laughs> I'm completely bewildered by it, actually. <laughs> More people have mentioned well, to me I about I think the it's the stereotype that everyone <laughs> assumes in suits, and especially women have yeah. to wear the dreaded heels all yeah. the time. That's right, so. yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, I, um, and, I, mean, I certainly don't. And you kind of look at your day and think to yourself what's available in your wardrobe and you kind of wear those clothes. But I think it's a very, I think the question for us is, it's a very personal choice what you wear to work. And um, I like the fact that historically we've treated it as respect. So even now, one of the things that we decided is, you see these big long memos that companies send out about what you can and can't wear to work. Well, we decided not to do that. We just decided to say, we work in a really inclusive, diverse environment wear something that's going to be respectful of your colleagues. And I, that's, to me, the essence of it. And, um, and certainly for me, I don't really get involved in what people wear. You know, at all, I think that you know, if you are respectful of your colleagues, you'll be respectful of those environments. You know, you'll make people feel comfortable. And in that same vein, what would you say has been one of the best piece of advice that anyone has ever given you, whether it's to be yourself or something else, um, in order to progress at work and um, achieve what you have achieved in your career? Yeah, I find it, I find it a really hard question to answer. And i tell you why. I was thinking about this question. Because I've had so many people help me in my career, predominantly women, actually. But so, and they still help me. Like one of the things I think that I do very well is I mimic people. Like I often thought to myself the other day, um, when am I going to stop doing this? But if there's people that I respect, I'll look at the way that they execute their, their jobs and I'll think to myself, that's really interesting. Like I work for someone at the moment who um, is so calm under pressure and particularly with some of the situations we're going through with recent disruption in the financial system. He's so calm and you kind of go and see him with a problem and you think to yourself, actually, why is that a problem? That really isn't a problem. I kind of know the answer to that. Like, why am I worked up by it? And um, he's kind of taught me things that even at this stage of my career, would I have really thought about that I would learn? And I think that's the amazing thing about coming to work every day. Like if you're open to like the people around you, whether they're more senior or more junior, you learn, don't you? You learn so much. Your, your personal development happens at work. So I wouldn't say I had a single piece of advice. I, my, I suppose my piece of advice is that, like mimic people around you that you respect, like study them and think about how you can actually change your behavior. There's a, I think there's a view that you can't really change your behavior. I completely disagree with that. I'm constantly adapting and changing my behaviours based on a certain environment. I think it takes four weeks to like, after you execute a behaviour in a particular way for that to become routine to you. And I think that's my message. So who would be your change agent then? Who would be your um, person that you look to to be, I want to be that? I mean, I always think about, um, in recent years, I've got very involved in working with charities. I wish I'd done it when I was younger. I, I thought that charities would be interested in me. And um, when you spend time with people whose lives are completely committed to doing good, I always think to myself, wow, that's amazing. 
And um, at Christmas, I actually thought to myself every day, one of my objectives for this year was every day I would be doing an act of kindness. And I would like do that deliberately, small or big. And um, I realized I didn't actually have to do it, that I was doing multiple acts of kindness every day. But to me, I think we kind of got to be careful that our lives get so busy and so complicated and we're so connected that we kind of lose sight of the fact that we have these social obligations as well. And so um, I work very closely with charities, particularly related to STEM. Um, and they do such good. I would, I would say that, that for me, the people that I think about outside of work or even in my work life a lot is you know, how they commit their lives for like completely different reasons. And I think the purpose of why you're doing something is really important. Thanks for listening to Global Change Agents with me, Liana Brinded, produced by Yahoo Finance UK. A full version of this interview can be found at yahoo.co.uk forward slash change agents. And for more information, go to uk.finance.yahoo.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.